Hello and welcome to Michael Nenevacker's Grand Podcast. It's a weekly podcast where we criticise the government. Mmm, rebellious. <laughs> and we just, uh, just read out Wikipedia articles a bit. That's what we're doing this week. Uh, my name is Michael Forrest. And I'm Ivanka Magic. And Magic. My itch. Uh, my itch. And this week we're going to talk about uh, Dom Cummings, our new Littlefinger. That's a Game of Thrones reference. Our new power behind the throne. Our new emperor. Our new emperor. <laughs> our new secret emperor. Our new, um, I don't know, just the person who's pulling up, calling all the shots whilst uh, Boris Johnson provides an oafish face. Cummings pulls all the strings and gets to execute his plan for... Uh, a new type world of order. World, a new world order. Yeah, I've just been skimming the Wikipedia article, and sort of we've been looking at bits and pieces that emerge in the press since he's been elect, uh, elected. <laughs> <Slip>. <laughs> there is something about um, this man who holds so much power that we need to know about. That we need to. We need to think about, I think. Just to know what might happen next, I yeah. suppose. It's good to have a look at what this guy's... Uh, what this guy thinks he's going to do. I th- and I think it's important to resist the temptation to just put him in the in a sort of baddie pile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, um, Because I'm not sure it's that... As with most things in life, it's not that simple. So and, yeah, and, and like in a lot of ways, as I said, when you sort of sent, well, you know, he did this job advert where he is looking for um, neurodiversity in the civil service. Like that's, I think that's good. That's a good that thing. Sounds yeah. good to me. Yeah. And just the fact he's sort of like, I, I, I find some of the sort of criticisms and the way he's being talked about in the press a bit like sort of short-sighted of people so let's see if we can have a little bit more of a nuanced discussion of someone whose ideas are a bit mad first we've got to find out what you know tell us a thing how's it going it's going well, it's going very I well. Think, I think it's going very well. I still don't have any Croatian identification. Oh, what's but, going on? <laughs> but I do have the document that proves my Croatian citizenship, which has exactly the same name on it as my British passport. And this is a good start. Though I went yesterday to the police station here, if you want to a passport application or an identity card application has to be done at the police station. Mm-hmm. So I went to, and because it's out of season and it's all a bit quiet, they're only open from half 10 till two. So I went there yesterday at about one, cause obviously I'm working. So it's a bit of a inconvenience. Uh, and then I went there, I got there at one and I got the thing cause I have to go to the post office to pay in some money to then come back to the, police station to get my identity card and the woman goes I said oh I'll just nip off the post office and I'll be back in a minute she said yeah I'm going to lunch now though <laughs> well this is the police station so they're this open the from poli- 10 30 till 2 plus is, a big lunch break <laughs> this is no this is the client facing sort of like the non-criminal part the way right. because what we don't have in the United Kingdom really is a concept of identification or the mm. need to identify oneself so that hence um it all these things like windrush and voting mm. ID is a bit disingenuous but anyway in a country where ID is really important a your ID card costs about 8 quid f- mm. Which and it's valid for multiple years, so it's not a um, a uh, so it's something that's relatively well. It's affordable and a le- legal requirement. Mm. So there's a particular office in the police station where you go and go. Oh, I've moved here. I'm I'm leaving now. You have to sort of record your presence and your address. Anyway, so that office is open only from half ten till two. However, at one o'clock 
the one woman who knows how to do ID cards was going for lunch. Right. Yeah, so okay. therefore she was like, well, why don't you just come back tomorrow? I was like, I'm recording my podcast tomorrow during your opening hours. So I'll see you on Monday. I didn't say about I was recording a podcast. But anyway, so um, so that happened. But, you know, Monday is another day. So I'll try again. And then the other interesting thing that happened, I think, since we last recorded, or may or may not be of interest, is that I've started making an effort to buy Croatian newspapers because mm. I feel like I'm staying here. I'm here often enough and for as much for long enough that I really should work out what the deal is. Um, so I, I bought two newspapers who's, that's, and they, they doesn't seem to be the same. Like I read the Guardian. I don't read the Guardian. I read the Times. I read the Telegraph. Um, but I, uh, I bought a couple of newspapers and what was interesting in both of them is the tone of some of the eight, the news is much more world. Hmm. So this happened in Poland. This happened in the Ukraine. This happened in South America. This happened. So it's a it's a bit more world focused, I'd say. Obviously, Croatia is a smaller country than the UK, etc. But uh, but also there were multiple articles about the environmentals, the state of the environment. Right. So there was one about a local lake that's been well, a Croatian lake that's been uh, some buried. Dirty water has started servicing. The article headline read, "Ecocide in a in a nature hotspot," mm. and what they were doing about it. So even the fact that the word "ecocide" was being used in a newspaper, I thought quite interesting. And the way they were reporting about the Australian fires was they've got sort of like ah, climate science, Croatian climate scientist who happens to be in Australia studying the impact of the Australian fires. Is, uh, was reporting that the ash from the Australian fires was covering the glaciers in New Zealand and making them mm. darker and therefore having a negative impact on the absorption of heat, etc. Also so a reflection of just, light, because that's one of the things they're doing is like they're trying to make the stuff more shiny again so it reflects the sun again. So covering up yeah, glaciers with ash is bad news. It's bad news. So, but, but it was, And it wasn't all written in some sort of doom and gloomy. It was more... And I, I read uh, an article, a sort of futurologist type article, because I'm, I'm not getting carried away and buying a newspaper every day. I'm just buying Saturday's <laughs> newspapers that are thicker. And have, so it takes me a little while to get through it but um uh the, this futurologist he started so let's start let's start our predictions about the next decade from a position of optimism he said and then mm. he talked about the, the number of dietary changes the world has already made the awareness of the environmental um collapse catastrophe whatever you know like it, it was just and it wasn't written in oh my god head it was more like you know this is this is not good <laughs> Um, so it was just a diff very different tone, I thought, to my uh, UK equivalents, mm. which I enjoyed for a change. Uh, yeah. I couldn't quite work out on the subject. One thing I've got become more, much more conscious of, obviously, with the uh, recording of the blog is who's paying for this news and what do they want me to know? And I, whilst I could find out who the owning company was, I couldn't quite understand their... I couldn't quite unpick their political position. But, you know, well, this is my little sideline research yeah. project. If only news was just information about stuff happening. <laughs> if only. Wouldn't that be good? Yeah. I was just checking that they didn't have a bias. Uh, so, yes, th I think those are my two highlighting Croatian-centric uh, reports for the week. How are you, Michael? I'm all right. Yesterday I had a sort of moment of, I think I'm over the hump with this app I'm working on of, OK, are we we might be able to make a list of bugs rather than being a bit baffled about what the hell any of it's going to look like. So that's exciting. Um, lots of hanging out with family last weekend. We went down to Folkestone, Dover Castle. It's nice. It's like a castle. It had all this sort of like, I thought, like strangely sort of gaudy looking colours on the furniture. And I was like, why is this is a bit Disneyland? And then my dad rightly explained, and obviously if I just read any of the walls, it's like, no, this is, they had these pigments, so they love to show off these bright pigments, the rich people back in the olden days. So stuff, oh. much like those the, the Roman and Greek statues that we think are white, but were actually kind of painted in these bright sort of colours. Um, yeah, they loved that stuff. It was a display of wealth to have stuff sort of uh, coloured in like Ikea furniture. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, that's so I, I'm I am uh, sort of missing being able to do anything particularly creative. But I like I really the clock really is ticking on my flight from contracting, and I really do need to release something soon, which means finishing this one app and also just localizing this other app. So because I think the secret is sell it all over the world rather than keep making more English apps. That probably is the secret. This Dom Cummings, dude, born on the 25th of November 1971. <laughs> <laughs> You're literally reading the Wikipedia page. Uh, Oxford University, blah, blah, blah. Seems to have a very low tolerance for idiotic politicians, despite working, working for, for some of the best. For like seven years. <laughs> like, uh, maybe he's like, likes the money. I don't know. He's a technocrat, right? See, well, a bit yeah. like uh, he's a he's sort of got the. I, I'm just really I've just seen this quote. Like he wrote some big article called "Some Thoughts on Educational Political Priorities about Transforming Britain into a Meritocratic Technopolis," and the essay Ugh. was described by the Guardian journalist Patrick Winter as either mad, bad, or brilliant, and probably a bit of all three. I get the sense that he's very opinionated. He's got sort of these high-tech ideas and he's like, well, we should just do this, and sort of like, which I can identify with. But I think he's also got a little bit of, as you've said, that privilege doesn't quite know when he might not be right about something. And- I, I think, yeah, I think that, I mean, there's the some of what he's saying, like you mentioned in the intro about wanting to hire neuro, uh, uh, neurodiverse. people with neurodiverse uh, making sense. sure that his the thinking is good and blah, blah, blah. blah. I mean, there are some interesting things. He also, uh, I was reading part of his, either about his, something on his blog, and he was talking about the importance of understanding statistics, of being able to do maths. He talks about the importance of interdisciplinary education. Uh, and so, for example, he suggested that any anybody who wants to be a president should study ancient history and mathematics mm. combined. I think these are some uh, that I, I agree. Yeah. I think this idea that you can be a one-dimensional person who is, uh, like I think in Britain, in the education system, people specialise far too early. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of you doing three A-levels, I mean, I did maths, maths and electronics. Mm-hmm. I, I, You know, it's like I, I didn't ha- have to write more than a, a sentence for two years. Um, I, whereas my Yugoslav education had been vastly diverse. We had to read Dante, we had to discuss the I'm sure I was supposed to read part of the Odyssey which I'm quite sure I never finished um you know but you you have to do art history and history history and history is not just a fraction of history but the whole world's history uh, our history teacher would sit there and ask questions like why do you think that happened why do you think Stalin would have wanted that or whatever it was so there was this you know I I agree that that uh, diver- diverse education, diverse experience, this idea that you are either good at maths or good at philosophy or one of the, or even though those two go hand in hand very well, but mm. is, is, you know, you're either a science person or an arts person yeah. is nonsense. Uh, I'm all for STEAM, not STEM, all that stuff. So let, let's give him some credit. I also think that this idea of being able to measure output in the civil service more accurately or or to understand that you know traffic to a website means something the number of a tran- the number of transactions means something so yeah mm. get people understanding numbers get de- data scientists involved but well, many things aren't that easy to measure okay but but so yeah. like but, but maybe before we launch into a critique like i've got a lot like i've been looking for 
I've been frustrated with the lack of engineering knowledge in politics. I've been I've been saying yeah. like we need to get someone who knows how to design a system in charge. We need to like think of people yeah. that just do politics that just think you can pile on more rules, more policies, more sort of like um um uh, sort of make the legal system make the list of laws even more longer and more convoluted. I'm trying to legislation that's the word i was looking for um i think that like knowing as a programmer that's just doesn't you can't just fix architectural problems by throwing more code at it which is all politicians know how to do really with the occasional yeah. repealing of a law um i think i think like we need someone with some scientific nous like the fact that he knows that measurement is important um and when i think about it like I don't know how else he could have got himself into this position without no. playing the politics. In, well, but he did do a lot of politics, but he certainly isn't someone that is going to be the front man for it. But he's managed to work his way into this position um, by hook or by crook. And maybe I can have some optimism that there's someone that actually isn't completely clueless. Um. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's it's it is interesting and I think that he um I was I, one of the little things that cropped into my eye when I was like skim reading the Wikipedia page when you were reading it was something about his criticism of um uh, uh Nick Clegg's oh, here we go quoting from the Wikipedia yeah. page. Nick Clegg's proposals on free school meals as dreamed up on the back of a cigarette packet. Uh, but it's like this. Oh, I don't know what we've we have spoken about this before. Something like social care, children's education, all of these things. It's all very well to have a philosophical conversation about the importance of value of interdisciplinary learning. Mm. But there are kids in the UK going to school hungry. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with giving everyone a free school meal and not? Actually bothering to measure that against some data fuck it can britain afford to make sure every kid gets breakfast and lunch while they're at school probably can let's just do that and measure something else mm. that's worth measuring so it's this it's this bit of um the, the the and there are some quotes of his that it's not very clear whether he believes well, it seems quite clear to me, and maybe I'm misreading and maybe I'm misquoting, but I get the impression that he believes that, you know, you're either you're this kind of like poor people are stupid, though he's, I don't think he's stated that, but I think he's like believes in this um, uh, genetic, you know, you're either predisposed to do well or not, uh, where, which where we all we know. Citation need to, needed on that because... Citation needed. Because he claims go. not, but that that's kind of conservatism um in a way like this idea that we're sort of there's a high natural hierarchy that predisposes some people to doing better than others which um we liber liberals know that you can't can't take away the legacy and the history and someone's background and like their the environment from that nature nurture debate in a way i i don't i haven't yeah i'd like to sort of hear where this where he said this thing about... I mean, okay. the fact he's talking about a meritocracy is... I mean, that's a problematic word, as we know. Yeah, we... Yeah, I mean... Oh, yeah. Oh, look. 19, 2014, Prime Minister David Cameron described Cummings as a career psychopath, although the two had never met. Um, um. He was... I think he, he thinks he knows better than everyone else, doesn't he? I think that's part of the pro I mean he he appears to have a total lack of humility which and I don't know who he admires it's those kind of things mm. that make fine if you're running your own business selling widgets call mate go for whatever you think's going to work prove to us that you know what you're doing but you're kind of running your experiments on my actual society that I live in mm. uh, and that's the bit that makes me itchy so where mm. and in all of that i think there are bound to be things that we agree with and things that we disagree with but i but i don't know how much of that is luck versus judgment do you know what i mean it's like of course if he says enough things some of them i might like 
yeah, I mean, all of all any of us can do is like fucking roll the dice and hope for the best. So it's sort of it's it's the the fact that he has the power that he's managed to find a way to be able to get his like and it's your self-belief it's your like internalized self-worth that governs how much you think you were responsible for the successes and how much you blame yourself for the failures and as we see like you know someone like boris johnson is incapable of you know the sort of eton type i don't know he's not an eton person but like that sort of elitist kind of education does tend to breed this kind of self like lack of self-doubt or like uh, uh, person like utter self-belief uh, but I think um, which doesn't mean that you couldn't also be right. Like you couldn't, <laughs> you could be kind of incapable of admitting you're wrong, but you might also very, very rarely be wrong. I don't know. Like, but I think the political views. Yeah, but, but who's of, questioning yeah. that? Yeah. Like, do we have to wait for four, five years, ten years to see that his experiment didn't work? and then get to question it? Or can we question it as we go along and go, oh, Dom, that sounds like a lovely idea. Mm. Um, let's let's at least have a meeting where we, or let's vote on that because we're, a, you know, a democratic society or let's get some, some experts in who may know, you know, let's, if you're, if, you know what I mean? It's like... But the fact that he's, like, starting out by talking about measurements is something that's a fucking novel idea for government, isn't it? Let's actually make it so that we can... Before, you know, 10 years down the line, uh, you've suddenly got this um, endemic poverty, the whole country because of policies that things that were done 10 years ago that no one's really looking at or people have sort of forgotten about. Like, yeah, the idea of like, well, let's measure it now at least means we can have that conversation before it gets quite so out of hand, hopefully. But that... But the idea of measuring in government is not now new. The yeah. government has a performance platform that okay. the government digital service introduced, which is it. So each each product that was each project that was put out on uh, under the Gov UK GDS guidelines needed to be part of the performance platform, mm-hmm. where you know literal actual data had to be made available so that you could see if your service was performing um, yeah, what yeah. Perfor- I mean and sometimes it's very difficult to describe what performance actually means mm. and you can measure yeah. lots of things and see graphs go up and down but yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean I'm taking your word for it on, like, I'm just taking this from I mean, you like when you talk about like, what he said and what what you've been doing in government yeah like and also the act of measuring specific things can easily make you sort of optimize for something that doesn't really take into account the whole picture and there's you know there's a raft of Problems with measurement, if you're looking at the wrong thing, if you care about the wrong things as well, if you don't have a metric of how many people, how many kids are in poverty on your little performance graph, then how are you ever going to be thinking about solving that? I hope he's... Yeah, because... Yeah, I mean, G- GDS was all about measuring, all about being able to prove that you were... Um, uh, you were doing something, uh, so it wasn't just vacuous headlines and whatever. They, so it's mm. taking some of the politics out of it. But um, uh, uh, so so yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I d- he. I am glad that somebody at number ten is showing an interest in these things. I think particularly that article uh, said something about artificial intelligence and how it should be used, but I. I maybe I can't quote that because I haven't read it in enough detail. But he... Um, I don't know that a country should be run on luck. Well, here's the, here's the danger. Here's the danger. Like, And I think we should need to go through the political views section of the Wikipedia page because I think this is really kind of like fertile little few paragraphs. But the fact is, like, if the person who does... Once you start, like what we saw in the UN poverty report is like the, once you have this power of AI and machine learning and automation and all the technologies of doing all this stuff, you're designing these public facing systems that basically kind of control their access to the sort of instruments, the the things that the state is supposed to be helping them with. That there, it's that's the design of that is very sensitive to the politics of the person behind it. So if someone with a particular, so we need to look at the politics because that is what will influence the design and then of, of the system, the systems that he's going to sort of push for, which will then the 
that will then scale drastically and can have very quick, as the UN Poverty Report showed, like these can have very wide-ranging effects at great scale very quickly. And um, so sort of subtle things in the configuration can like ruin lives if that's not mm. taken into account, which it hasn't been so far. Well, I, I, you would know a lot more about this, but the Poverty Report said like the people have been experimented on and... They haven't got yeah, yeah, you know they're not, not going to refund because the system wasn't ready yet because the system was in no. beta. They're just no, no, their no, lives are just ruined. Yeah, that, that, I think that's the 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 part. It's like the the fact that and that, that poverty report identifies all these things. Like yeah, great, you can do your um uh, your what should be your benefit. You can do your benefits application on your mobile phone. Brilliant. Uh, but what? It, but you've still got to wait six weeks for your money, yeah. and you've got nothing in the bank. Or uh, I, you've got no money to get your get data on your phone, and you go to the library, but your local library is shut. And so no it's those kind of like and all that kind of. Thing and there's no well. public transport, like you said. You know, you said over Christmas, public transport is phenomenally expensive in yeah. the UK. So <laughs> it's all these things that it's like, yeah, great. And he, do, but he, he does talk about complexity and understanding complexity mm. on his blog, like yeah. the importance of being able that you know this Odyssean education that he talks about mm. seems to paraphrase and having scan read really that you know this idea that you start with a big problem and then break it back down just so that sort of education so that you can understand how interrelated and complex these things are mm. that's brilliant uh, that he <laughs> he adds <laughs> that but does he really care that you know one of the participants i interviewed in user research doesn't pay for calls on her mobile phone because if she buys if she pays for calls she can't afford to get uh, pay for her sons to go for two pound thirty a week to football clubs so she'd rather just use text and data yeah. uh, you know okay that's so let's, the bit let's figure that I'm out not if, sure he cares about yeah let's figure out if we think based on these political views if that's the sort of thing he's going to care about January 2016, five months prior to the EU referendum in the UK, Cummings said, extremists are on the rise in Europe and are being fuelled, unfortunately, by the Euro project and by the centralisation of power in Brussels. It is increasingly important that Britain offers an example of civilised, democratic, liberal self-government. As a scholar of history, mm. which he claims to be... Uh, he needs to look, review, <laughs> re-examine the history of the Balkans, mm. which goes back over 800 years, uh, over, over 800 years ago, uh, Croatia, parts of Croatia part, was, was part, the, the Balkans has been fought over by the Ottoman and Austro-Hungarian empires for hundreds of years, mm -hmm. 500 of Ottoman, 800 of, of 800 of Austro-Hungarian. The idea that any sort of extremism, I can only, I can speak about the Balkans, is being fueled by the Euro project mm. and not by history, mm. not by the fact that it was in many people's... I mean, I can't even string a, a proper sentence together because he, what he... And all of those countries want to be part of the European Union. What's fueling that extremism is history is a history of people that have been divided for for hundreds of years that have not been had anybody uh 
and economics we've spoken about this before if you've if you've not got enough you are going to be blaming somebody else and i'm not sure how the euro project fuels that (laughs) and and also he sort of fails to well that sort of sentence on one hand completely dismisses all the the benefits that sort of as a, a unity will gives you but it also i mean yeah like there's the euro skepticism is fueled by this misinformation that the press has been doing like the uk press has just been on this has been systematically feeding the public misinformation about europe for decades like and we know you know boris johnson loves to do that I could also make a strong argument on his Euro project criticism Mm. that part of the problem, let's say uh, Poland has got a rise in um, extremism, you know, the Croats, Bosnian, Herzegovina, Serbia, a lot of this is fueled currently, I'd say, by the church, who's finally been able to get back in charge after the collapse of the so-called communism and suddenly all people everybody who was like were either banned or not allowed or discouraged from going to church will run back to the church and the church has gone ah mm. <laughs> now, haha, now we've got you i mean some of the church stuff that's happening on the balkans is you know there, there's sort of there's this weird entanglement of of uh of of the church is all in all sorts of things that it wouldn't previously have been in. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that's worth examining. I don't, I don't have any data. I don't have any statistics. But observing 20 years of post-Civil War in, on the Balkans, 25 years, is, it's just the, 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 the power and reach of the Catholic Church in the areas that I go to is grown phenomenally mm. in so, that time. Yeah, so so he sort of started from a position of oh extremism, oh well, no yeah, one I mean, likes extremism. Everyone's really worried about that. Let's remember that that's completely over exaggerated in people's minds the threat of that to their lives. So sort of instantly jumping on that thing that people are completely insane about to start with, and then just like really in a really shallow way blaming that on Brussels. When straight away, is from your experience, you're able to say, look, there's different things going on in every country and to to, it's it's stupid to think that that's people looking at brussels just because that's something you're obsessed with and also if he talks about for example uh, the increase of refugees coming through and into europe you know that's one of the things that if you we don't want those syrians in our country Mm. i think it's particularly difficult for countries like macedonia serbia bosnia who are kind of they're they're the other side of the european um border the EU border, sorry, not European border. And so they're bearing the brunt of uh, refugees that aren't being allowed to enter the Mm. EU. Uh, But you could make this argument that if the EU wasn't so soft on refugees, that they wouldn't be trying to get there in the first place. Mm. Again, a very complex problem that I don't believe is, you know, there's, you know, for example, it's just Brussels. I mean, <laughs> Germany letting in last year, they let in a million refugees, mm. uh, which many people are saying is what um, was one of Merkel's big you know, errors that she made. But like Germany has a different sort of historic incentive yeah. to be a kind country yeah. now in a way that it's so it's like, come on, man. Well, can we be, can I put the next sentence yes. in? Because like it is part of <laughs> so, disconnect completely to all this. So an an Ogilvy conference in 2017 coming stated his belief that the EU, rather than solving issues, was fueling radical extremism due to a perceived lack of control over issues such as economy and immigration. Quote, for me, the worst case scenario for Europe is a return to 1930s style protectionism and extremism. Surely leaving the EU is precisely doing that. And to me, (laughs) the EU project, the Eurozone project, are driving the growth of extremism. The single most important reason, really, for why I wanted to get out of the EU is I think it will drain the poison of a lot of political debates. UKIP and Nigel Farage would be finished. Once there's democratic control of immigration policy, immigration will go back to being a second or third order issue. So he thinks, so he's, again, he's like, ostensibly on our side, like, we don't want Farage. And Farage is certainly using Europe as an excuse to be racist. That's like saying, look, I'm bored of us discussing what colour we're going to paint the wall in the living room. Let's just burn down the house. (laughs) 
Farage hasn't gone away, has he? He certainly does not seem to have gone away yet. And um, maybe they'll just, now that he's got famous, he'll just find new ways to be awful. So he doesn't like Farage. We know he like doesn't like a lot of these people that we don't like as well. <laughs> but he sort of, it must take a certain, like, why, why did he go... Oh, I don't know. Cummings has been highly vocal over what he believes is a London-centric political system. Again, like, a good point that failed to countenance the United Kingdom's voting uh, to leave the European Union. In December 2019, following the general election, which returned an 80-seat Conservative majority, he stated, After the shock of the referendum, MPs and journalists should have taken a breath and had a lot of self-reflection on why they misunderstood what was going on in the country. Instead, a lot of people just doubled down on their ideas and fucked it up even more. That's why something like this happens against expectations. He has expressed his dismay that many voters concerned, particularly in Northern England and the Midlands, have been ignored by both Conservatives and Labour and taken for granted. He criticised New Labour's attempt at rebalancing inherent structural deficiencies within the British economy following deindustrialisation with a system of tax credits. Uh, Cummings has claimed to never been a member of a political party. Despite this, he was listed... He was second in a list by LBC of the top 100 most influential Conservatives of 2019. You know, going back to his UKIP comment and Nigel Farage, and it's like, OK, if we can... Uh, so th there's quite... If there's a lot of interest, just in those few quotes, mm. bearing in mind they can have been taken out of context, la-di-da, but it's increasingly important that Britain offers an example of civilised, democratic, liberal self-government. I don't know how you present yourself as being civilised and liberal mm. if you've unleashed, uh, you know, if you've made the Leave EU all about immigration and yeah. unleashed racism. Like, again, there are stats. <laughs> there are, we, we've had statistics and data reported about the increase in racist attacks since then. So, you know, like there has been a negative effect on something that he claims not to want. I think as well, this idea that, um, you know, if he's so brilliantly clever, mm. couldn't he have engineered a campaign for people to understand the importance of cognitive diversity and uh, the, the importance of a diverse working uh, population that comes from different places and has different experiences and who can make Britain a better place to live. You know, like, why has he taken the idea that if you, you know, like, the, these two things seem to be in conflict to uh, me. Yeah, well, I, I think um, but that, that, that sort of makes me think about the sort of coverage we've seen in The Guardian. Things like, uh, was it Nathan Barley or Don Cummings that said this silly thing, this crazy thing? And I, and I looked at that and I thought, this is why it's not possible to have conversations about certain things. Because, like, this is why if, you, if you're too far out there, which... I don't know how you can live in this world the way it is. Like, everything's just insane now. But if you actually want to talk about insane stuff, it's very easy to be dismissive of that. So I, I think, I don't know if it's pragmatic, but, and, I, and I have another idea that makes me think it's less pragmatic and more just, like, you know, self-whatever. But um, how much of it was, like, I'm not going to be able to have this conversation with people because the press is just going to, like, treat me like a crazy person. And I'm never going to get across. So I'm just going to play the, oh, it's extremists. Oh, take back control. Oh, you know, I'm going to play yeah. that game. Um, even if what he actually wants is a lot more complex than that. Or even I mean, what, the way yeah, he wants to I do it I is don't, a lot more complex. I don't really know what he wants. That's the other side of things. Because I've read mm -hmm. this thing about him um, making, you know, I, I agree with the... London-centric, the money's in London, there's mm. lots of, you know, all governments after the closure of the coal mines and the steel industry have neglected those communities. So, you know, great that he's thinking about doing something about it. I'm not entirely clear what his desired outcome is because something like the tax credits criticism, mm. I, there is, I think you can be very critical of it. You can be critical of it from a point of view. A, people don't understand that it is a benefit. It's a government. It's government topping up for the fact that the 
your employers underpay you and they don't pay you enough money to live on. That's what tax credits were that Gordon Brown brought in. Um, But many people's lives were improved by those tax credits. So, you know, like... He seems to, but I don't know what he's doing. I've not, never seen him stand up and talk about uh, the importance of paying a living wage. Well, we've example. never really seen him stand up and talk about very much, have we? Like, no, there's a couple no, of quotes from true. a couple I'll, of talks, ref- industry type things. He's not going, he's not standing on that pedestal. He's not standing on that political platform. He's behind the scenes. And that's why it's kind of hard to know what he's saying. But I would say, yeah. like, in terms of just conservative Labour, it's like, Yes, power has become it's become London centric. One of the reasons for that is like it's really expensive to get around the country because of the privatization oh of all God. the transport infrastructure. And that's a very you, much yeah. a conservative like crime. You, know, you, can, you can get across Europe by train literally from, you know, from from Paris to Croatia for, you know, sub 100 euros mm. to get from to get across England. Jeez. Like nice. it was 50 quid yeah, I spent, I shelled out 90 quid on train tickets just to go to Folkestone, plus a couple of cab rides there. It's like, it's not very far. So that's why everyone is desperate to live within that sort of range of the tube where it's like five quid or like two quid or whatever to get anywhere in London, which is hugely like populous, populated. So now at least yeah. you've got access to many, 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 many more things because the, which you just can't do. And, and like I am. Um, and so instead of a, an affordable transport infrastructure, we've got in Nottingham, it's, it's, it's so insidious because it's, it sort of feels like this really kind of posh version. It's like a really nice bus and it's got little USB charging <laughs> ports and it's got... Yeah. But it's five quid for a ticket, for a return. Yeah. Are you nuts? Was it six pounds? Did I, did I take no, that? No, seven. Seven, seven pounds for a bus ticket into town and out. So yeah. what is anyone supposed to do? And that was highlighted by the EU. And it's a conservative thing it's uh, oh yeah, everyone's yeah, yeah. gonna we're gonna let the market we're gonna neoliberalism we're gonna thatcherism like extrapolated and it's painful because it looks it sort of feels like you're on a nice bus now but yeah that's because no one yeah. that needs the bus can get on the bus anymore and um, which is an absolute crime what else are they going to do if they can't get the bus and they haven't got a car and the trains cost 15 quid to get into town like so, um, yeah, that is not politically neutral and it's certainly no. not Labour's fault that it's centralised in London. And then the, the, the other thought I had was like, OK, if Cummings claims to have never been a member of, the, of a political party, I wonder if he ever approached the Labour Party with his plans and ideas. And if yeah, so, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure there's some conservative aspects to his thinking that would have made them go, what? No. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm imagining a thing there. You seem to be quite compatible with conservative values. I mean, never being a member of a political party could simply be a a useful tool, knowing that he wanted to be part of the civil service Mm. and a high-level civil servant. Mm. Uh, Because after a certain career point in the civil service, you you have to be politically neutral because you have to serve whatever minister Mm. is responsible for your department but I think frankly even with having your own ideals you can still do your job (laughs) you know personally I think it's like it's not that um uh, but anyway that's a different debate but yes I think it may have just been a part of his plan better not join the a party because then when I want to be head of strategy I'll be like (laughs) I don't know I don't think I mean that this is the thing he's not he's certainly not uh you know, you can't. He's certainly not stupid. He's certainly got a think. You know, a thinking brain that spends time reading and educating himself. Which and is I think he's probably used great. to being the smartest person but, in the room, especially with all these MPs yeah. who he holds this contempt for, like most of them. Yeah. Like, uh, but you know, you you. But there's something disingenuous about citing extremism being caused by like saying blaming extremism which a is massively overblown although like uh, well i don't think not rising because of 
like there are many factors in what's driving that and probably a lot of it is yeah, it's, it's from across the board the things that are driving that from the environment but, yeah. to neoliberalism and capitalism to like inequality all these things like drive that drive that sort of um desperation yeah yeah which right. is where sort of a lot of you know the eu there can be criticism of the eu in terms of it being a ne neoliberal construct in you know or sort mm. of supports neoliberalism with the you know the the free movement of goods and services and the free movement that is a that's all about the market and about trading Gra mm. fine but don't burn the house down for god's sake yeah some interesting things about his uh his influences so you know he's a uh, claims to be a russophile he's an admirer of otto van bismarck well he's a he speaks russian mm. it's like i'm just not sure that he cares about people <laughs> <laughs> and for me i think that's kind of important well what we need to look at is what is being measured like that's what we can do if we want yeah. to. Think. But the thing is, like, basically, he's got he's got it. He's done it. He's got himself into that position, and we can. Like for me, I'm like, okay, well, I guess we just I just have to accept that, and yeah. I'd like tie it into the things that I was worried about, like long before Brexit. Like just the fact that the way government was run seemed to be completely, kind of chaotic and like i i mean inefficiency is one thing but like that's something i've certainly developed my understanding of the importance of inefficiency in the meantime but like having a scientist type in like behind the throne i think there's got to be some benefits to that so let's see how it goes and hopefully we'll be able to keep an eye on him as he does it as he goes about it well if he is um I think that's a bit, that's a, you know, that there's nothing else we can do really other mm. than keep an eye on him. But I think, I just, uh, I just think it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable oh, yeah. to have somebody that's, I mean, this is the other thing, like measuring a lot of the, I don't know what, so like you say, I think what is being measured is a really mm. important factor in this. Um, and then also how many of those things being measured can actually um be proven in within a political mandate because yeah. that's a, that you know which yeah. i think is also interesting because politicians you know you, to there's a difference between the data you report if you're trying to report success on a 5 year project versus mm. on a 20 year project of a child's education or you know a child being from born to work something like that you know like to show that you've fixed something or made something better yeah uh, but yeah i don't know yeah I don't know. yeah i think I, I just i just to cap it off like we, we we wouldn't be so worried about this if someone else was the prime minister would we it's like it's not no don cummings it's boris johnson <laughs> will do whatever it, he doesn't really care he's just yeah. like a sort of cartoon character why we're worried is because he seems like he'll he doesn't really care so he'll go along with whatever this guy wants yeah who can it seems like don thinks he can seems to be able to persuade boris to do whatever he wants and has certainly demonstrated that he can get him into that position um do you know i'm um i need to read this book like boris's uh churchill biography um i reckon boris johnson has got a vision board somewhere that he made when he was a child, which was that he want, which says that he wants to be seen the way Winston Churchill is seen, and can you imagine the the balls on someone to essentially write a biography, a popular biography of the person that you want people to see you as, so that you can sort of retroactively make them seem more like you? <laughs> I mean, it's a mad. Uh, it's just the balls on this guy. <laughs> Thank you.
All right, thank you for listening. If you like the podcast, go to grandpodcast.com and you can subscribe if you are not already subscribed. Where can people find you, Ivanka? People can find me at Ivanka on Twitter. And you can find me at michaelforestmusic.com. Um, you, there's a Patreon. Go to that. Give us money, please. <laughs> there's a lot of billable... <laughs> help, uh, help support some of our billable hours if you can afford to chuck a bit of cash our way that would be great what else uh, what else if you could go and uh, do some ratings and reviews and that sort of thing the thing that makes the algorithms share our podcast with other people tell your friends subscribe them yourself mm. send them links that kind of thing mm. we don't have to just be we're not really interested in only being heard by people who agree with us you know we want a bit of uh, bit of I'm happy to be educated yes. as long as it's done very nicely nicely and respectfully well yeah and I literally <laughs> sat like someone started so someone sort of went we were well that thing in in uh, Dover Folkestone like uh, when I was there we were sort of I was sort of teasing someone about being racist and someone came along and sort of like wanted to get involved in the conversation wanted to talk about reverse racism wanted to talk about the things I don't know if he's listening but I I literally said look, I'm sick of only talking to people that I already agree with and Sharon was like saying I'm so anxious about that and my sister as well she and my sister were sat there going I'm so anxious oh God, that, God. I was just like no I'm going to go and I'm going to sit with the, you know I'm going to talk to a stranger about stuff that makes us both feel really strongly um, and just wow. hopefully find a way to talk to people that don't already agree with me or don't mostly agree with me or don't uh, I don't know whatever it is this is what this is the next step really because there's no point just agreeing with each other all the time is there no uh, limiting ourselves yeah. to our bubbles okay thanks for listening see you next time thank you bye 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 bye, bye.